So if you get a, a count on all the lights, let me know, will you? Uh, if you're going to be count lights during the sermon, that's okay with me. I just figure that uh, even when people go to sleep while I'm preaching, it's because they're tired, you know. I mean, hey, no big deal. Um, I've got a little ring here. I don't know if, is that ringing in my ears here? Okay, that's a little better. Um, I just really appreciate the music that Paul pulled together today because it so well fits the message, the scriptures that we're going to look at. And uh, I almost wish we could stay after and sing that whole music set again and just kind of drive it in to our hearts. Uh, this morning we're going to continue on in our, our look at the light of the world is Jesus. And as we look at an Old Testament passage that emphasized uh, Jesus as the light of the world, in Isaiah 9-6 we read, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. We want to uh, look at uh, Jesus as the light of the world, and we see here in this uh, verse that I just read how Jesus is uh, kind of given to us full spectrum here as the light of the world. Last week we looked at his name, Wonderful Counselor, and how he has got the best advice. He is the one who gives us the Holy Spirit to be our counselor. Uh, it all comes from and through the Lord Jesus by his goodness. Today we're going to look at uh, this name of him, uh, this name of Jesus, Mighty God. Before we get into this, I, I, I need to give you a little background preparation. And uh, so we're going to look at uh, some levels of communication. One of the ways of thinking about this is uh, like all the layers in an onion. And if you visualize a nice big Walla Walla sweet, that's okay. I really like those. In fact, I have a sister that lives on the East Coast, and one of the best things I ever did was I sent her a Walla Walla sweet, and she just thought it was wonderful. Uh, they're really good on a hamburger, too. Um, as we communicate uh, different levels, it'll be like peeling away layers of this onion, and so just track with me here as we lay a little foundation. When we talk about things that are impersonal, uh, these, uh, these are things that uh, are like uh, the news. Uh, we talk about the weather. We talk about sports or uh, a TV show, a movie we've seen, or perhaps a book we've read. It's always uh, very impersonal. It's what uh, a lot of us call the news, and we engage in passing on the news. I personally know people that get very uh, nervous if they do not get to catch the news before they go to work because they have this dread that somebody's going to bring up something that happened in the news and they won't know about it and so they won't be able to participate. I, however, take the view of C.S. Lewis who when some of his uh, literary colleagues were giving him the bad time about not reading a newspaper, he said, well... If anything important happens, one of you guys will tell me. And uh, he, he called the news the, that momentary public hysteria called the news. 
And if you think about it, that's kind of a lot of the way it goes. It's just a momentary uh, stir up a little public hysteria because uh, it sells news time. Well, we want to move beyond that, although that's a very natural and important part of our communication as human beings. Another level that I'm moving in is uh, when we begin to engage in conversation about other people. And this is uh, where we can talk about uh, people that we work with, our neighbors, kind of uh, do a daily catch-up when you get back home. Uh, how'd your day go? Well, I interacted with so-and-so. I saw this person at the grocery store. Uh, our family, uh, friends at church, this sort of thing. But again, it's, uh, it's a little more personal, but it's still pretty close to that impersonal kind of conversation. The deadly thing about this level, this is where gossip begins to reside because we hear something about somebody and then we speak to someone else about that somebody and gossip can very easily get going and gossip by its very nature is very vicious. It's impersonal to the gossiper but it's deeply personal to the gossipy. The person is getting talked about. Now, we need to use this level of communication for good rather than for evil. And I like to think about the power of speaking well of other people. If you just speak well of someone, eventually word might get back to them. And you know what it does? It gives them a big booster shot. I remember when I was a teenager... Uh, my dad and I, uh, we were riding along in the pickup, uh, farming up here north of the Tri-Cities. And uh, dad's driving along, you know, and he says, uh, hey, I'm good friends with the, uh, the law enforcement officer there in Connell, you know. And I said, mm, yeah. <laughs> he said, I was having coffee with him the other day, and I'm getting a little more nervous. He said, he's been keeping an eye on you and your brother Ben. And now I'm really getting nervous. And uh, Dad's driving along. He says, yeah, I just wanted to tell you that he thinks you guys are all right. And whew, ah, hadn't got caught. Um, but you know what that did? It gave me something that I had to live up to. And we do that for people when we speak well of them. Sincere appreciation passed around to other people when it gets back to that person it's a very powerful thing. And so I want to encourage you uh, to speak well of others. The third level uh, gets into where we begin to talk about what we think. Uh, this is where uh, it uh, uh, sort of gets into our opinions, uh, why we think that way. Uh, we will sometimes get defensive uh, this is an area, interestingly enough, that a lot of service clubs uh, just tell their members, look, when we get together for an event, don't talk about religion and don't talk about politics. Why? Well, because at this level, people get defensive and we will try to convince other people that we are right. And at this level, we are often looking for uh, an agreement, an affirmation, to find someone else that thinks the way that we think about things. And that's a lot of what draws people together in local churches. We think about the truth revealed 
in God's word, we think about it very similarly. Uh, The uh, relational uh, disciple training that we're going to start in January uh, has one of the foundations uh, anchored in the truth that we share a common theology. When we think similarly about who God is, what God does, what he has done, what he is still doing, who we are with reference to God, and understand what he wants us to do, uh, then we are able to communicate at this level very effectively and we can uh, strongly encourage one another. Now, as we're moving from impersonal to more personal, uh, when we get to level four, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, I just called this security and significance, but that's because this is where we really carry this around with us. It's a deeper level inside of us, and it's uh, often more difficult uh, to talk about this at this level. Uh, This is where we can get very protective of ourselves, because this is where uh, we carry our hopes, our goals, our ambitions, our expectations. You know, at Christmas time, people getting together, Uh, sometimes it doesn't work out too well at a family get-together and people go home disappointed or a little sad because they had expectations of the get-together that weren't quite met. Well, now, if we can't talk about our expectations more openly with one another, then other people don't have a clue on how to help meet those expectations. So this is a very important level of communication and conversation, especially for families to be able to have. Unfortunately, uh, it's at this level that we experience a hurt, and it's real hard to get rid of that hurt unless we can be open and honest about it, uh, to talk about it. Uh, uh, This is a place where, believe it or not, we can start to carry a grudge. You know, when you're carrying a grudge, uh, you think it's hidden. Other people begin to notice that you're carrying a grudge. My dad taught me this. He says, it's foolish to carry a grudge. The only one it wears out is the guy carrying it. Uh, It's sort of like being bitter towards somebody else and unwilling to forgive them. I heard it put described like this. Bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. It just doesn't compute. Well, this is part of our problem with hiding at this level and not being willing to be open. We're too protective of what's going on. And then when it gets down to the uh, uh, level five, uh, what we could call the innermost heart, uh, this is the, the real tough one to deal with. There are people that have been Uh, married for a lot of years that still don't know how to communicate at this level. This is the level where we uh, have our deepest longings and uh, uh, we're we're fearful sometimes to just say, oh, I just long for, and go ahead and explain it. Uh, This is also a level where uh, we carry our fear and we hide our shame stories because Those are things that are not nice to talk about to other people. But you know, this is where we 
experience the genuine love from the Lord God. It's at this deep level, Jesus referred to it as the heart. Sometimes scripture writers refer to it as the spirit. It's that innermost part of us that really counts. It's where decisions spring from. It's where what we say comes from. And sometimes it's not too well filtered, depending on what's going on in the deep recesses of our heart. But when it comes to bearing our hearts, we need to learn, first of all, to bear our heart to the Lord God, because he already knows, and he already understands. And so with that little background, uh, I want to jump into this passage, and so if you'll uh, uh, fire up your phone or laptop or uh, iPad, whatever, uh, you might even carry a Bible, you know. I had a real blessing the other day that I had a Bible with me and my device had gone battery dead. So, hey, I read a book, pretty novel. I really like it because you don't need batteries. That's the main reason I like it. And I I use this other stuff a lot. I'm very grateful for it. I better get back on track here. Uh, Isaiah 9.6, the passage that I read just a little bit earlier uh, for... Uh, To us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Last week we looked at Jesus, Wonderful Counselor. Today I want to draw your attention to Jesus, Mighty God. This is his name here, and we need to learn to think and Uh, Use that name of Jesus every now and then when it's appropriate. He is Jesus, mighty God. Now this word mighty is kind of an interesting word. Uh, It occurs only 41 times in the Hebrew scriptures. And it always, except for two times, it always refers to a warrior. A mighty warrior. A mighty man of valor. A person who is strong in warfare. Strong in dealing with the enemy. Interestingly enough, this is the name that is used uh, for Jesus here in this passage. He is mighty God. Now, why would Isaiah be prompted by the Holy Spirit to use that particular term for Jesus in this prophecy of his coming? Well, he wants us to understand that Jesus is a mighty defender. He's our protector. He's the one who goes to war for us. In the context in Isaiah, the people are fearful of being overrun by the enemy that is approaching. They know they don't stand a chance. And Isaiah gives the word of the Lord to King Ahaz there in Jerusalem and says, Look, God is with us. Emmanuel, God is with us. Ahaz still didn't get it. He was still scrambling around, trying to help himself, trying to make things work out on his own terms. And so God spoke again and said, look, up there in the region where all those enemies are rallied, there's going to be a great light is going to shine and people in darkness are going to be totally amazed. God is going to do something. 
He's going to rescue this nation. He's going to give us joyful singing at bountiful harvest. And then he says, because this wonderful person is going to come. And we know that he came in the person of Jesus Christ. Now it's this mighty God, Jesus mighty God, who says to us, fear not. I wanted to lay that foundation for you in communication uh, because I want you to open your heart and let God address your fear. God can deal with our fears. I don't know what your fears are. Uh, I know I can tell you of a few that I've experienced, and I'll do that as we go along. But think about how many times God says in Scripture, fear not, do not be afraid. Over and over he says that. Why is that? Well, it's because we're forgetful pilgrims on the way to glory. Uh, We need constant reminder. And because our adversary uses fear as one of his most deadly weapons against us, it's fear that often causes us to withhold uh, just sharing the gospel with a friend who maybe is even asking us spiritual things. It's fear, fear that uh, maybe they don't want to be our friend. Maybe they'll make fun of us. All these crazy fears jump up. And that's a satanic thing that Jesus, mighty God, can deal with. And so uh, before we get into this too far, I want to just ask you to, to quietly uh, open your heart uh, to the Lord and ask him to speak to you and dispel your fear. Jesus, mighty God, we ask you in these moments to speak to us in our innermost being, to speak words of truth, to speak words of power, to speak your words of liberation, your words of setting us free. And I pray that you would be glorified and your people would be mighty and mightily encouraged in you, Jesus, mighty God. Amen. Well, why, uh, where do we get this idea that uh, Jesus is mighty God? Real quick, we'll, I want to review with you. Last week we looked at John chapter 1. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And look how it describes him. It says, uh, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In other words, anything that you see, anything you feel, anything you hear, anything you sense, Jesus made it. That's pretty awesome in itself. I like that song that that we sang earlier about the music of the universe. Uh, Everything cries glory if we learn to look and listen to God revealed in the creation. Listen, that's pretty awesome that Jesus could just speak and whole galaxies would burst forth. That he would speak and our solar system exists. And the powerful thing is when he fashioned Adam out of the dust of the ground and he breathed into his face, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life 
And man became a living soul, a living being. That's powerful. That's powerful. Jesus gives life. He keeps life. Look what is written of Jesus here in uh, uh, the book of Colossians. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus holds everything together. Now, when Jesus was a little baby there in the manger, he was holding the universe together. As one of the commentators I've read described that little baby, he was a real human baby, mewling and puking. He was a real baby. But he held the whole universe together. And continues to do so. And the most astounding one, I mean not most, but amazing to me, is in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Um, I remember a Greek prof uh, really drilling us on this to probe into this verse and see what it's really saying. There in Hebrews 1, 3, it says that while upholding all things by the word of his power... He made purification for our sins. While Jesus was on the cross, dying for you and me, he kept everything together. And when he descended into the grave, nothing flew apart. He's that kind of a mighty God. When he rose from the grave, he conquered death. And so he says to us, fear not. This is the Jesus that we worship. Now, what are some of the fears that we have to face? Uh, Well, one of them that we all have to wrestle with is the fear of death. And uh, the last I heard, uh, death has got a 100% win all over the world. Um, All of us have to go there someday unless we are among that happy generation where Jesus comes, but most of us are going to have to face death. Some people uh, have a fearful dread of death, but Jesus in his loving kindness takes care of our fear of death. Read what uh, the writer to the Hebrews says in chapter 2. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He himself likewise partook of the same things. This is this wonderful thing we call the incarnation. God takes upon him true humanity. He goes on and says, So that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You see, the fear of death can cause people to do extraordinary things. We fear death until we know Jesus, mighty God. And then he begins to relieve us of the fear of death and the bondage that it can bring in our lives. I love what Jesus says to his followers. This is in John chapter 5. 
And I want to encourage you to maybe read along and read around in uh, John chapter 5. Quick counting the lights. If you're bored, read John 5, okay? John 5, Jesus talks about this work that he does in concert with God the Father. And he explains to his disciples here, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. This is Jesus, mighty God, who says to us, fear not. We don't need to fear death because Jesus, our great warrior, Savior, has conquered death for us. The Apostle Paul gives that wonderful description in 2 Corinthians 5 where he says to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And there's nothing in between. It's just instant. Uh, Somebody said it's like passing through a doorway. When are you still in this room and when are you in the hallway? Uh, There's this transition and there it is. And Jesus said that whoever believes in him will never die. We will live forever with him in eternity, in his glorious eternal life. Jesus, mighty God, says, fear not. In September of 2006, um, I was pastoring at Clackamas Bible Church, and I had been going to a, a doctor... Uh, several doctors, series of tests and exams. And I finally got to know this one doctor. We enjoyed a lot of good banter back and forth. And uh, uh, Dr. Tom called me one day at home. Now, it's pretty serious when you're on first, first name basis with your doctor, at least it is for me. Anyway, Dr. Tom called me and I said, well, he said, uh, we got all those tests back and... Uh, I'm sorry to tell you that uh, you have cancer and we're going to have to operate and I've got you lined up for about three weeks from now. Uh, The day after uh, my wife's birthday, in fact, was the day they had it scheduled. Um, I was, uh, at first I thought, hmm, well, I'm glad they figured it out. And uh, then I, uh, I thought, well, I better tell my wife I better tell the guys I work with on staff, but that's the only people I'm going to tell, and then I'll just give the word to the whole church of the Sunday before I go in for surgery. And so that was my plan, and I just kind of went on. Well, two weeks before uh, the surgery, I was working on the, the sermon, and I just couldn't concentrate. I couldn't pull things together, and I said, Lord, what's going on? there was this niggling fear creeping up my back. You know, hey, Baxter, you're about to die. Uh, This is it for you. Uh, This is uh, curtains coming. All this crazy stuff kept sneaking up on me. And I, I just finally said, Lord, I don't know what to do about this. I just can't shake it. Help me. And I was able to kind of pull things together and, and preach that Sunday And after the second service, a dear man of God, he's with the Lord now, one of my favorite brothers, John Rivas, he was in his 90s and he had lost most of his eyesight and uh, he was still very vigorous and just had a wonderful love for the Lord Jesus. And John 
kind of came through the crowd. His wife was helping him get over to me, and uh, I, he came to greet me, and I said, Oh, John, I'm so thankful to see you. I said, I need a hug from Jesus. And that was kind of a thing that we had, because I believe that Jesus walks around in every person that knows him. And it was obvious that Jesus lived in John. And so he gave me a big hug, and then he looked up at me, and he says, you know what Jesus would say to you? And I thought, well, yeah, I want to hear it. He said, don't fear. Do not fear. Whoa, where's that coming from? Well, it was coming right from the Holy Spirit of God. I don't have any question about that. John was God's messenger to tell me, fear not. You don't need to be afraid of death because God is in control. And then I had this other funny experience uh, when I was turning 70 a few years ago. Um, I thought, ooh, 70? You know, my family was having a big hoorah about it and everything, and I wasn't too keen on that, you know. Uh, In fact, my sweet wife did not bother to put 70 candles on my cake, okay? Have to call the fire department, as they say. Um, But I remember, uh, you know, the family was around. We were having a good time. And I kept thinking, 70? That's geezer territory. Uh, I'm not ready for that. I'm not 70 years old. I I feel like I'm 32 again, you know. And uh, then all you have to do is try to jog up a hill and get convinces you in a big hurry. As one, one person said, uh, you know, you're getting old when your mind makes promises your body can't keep. Well, that's where I was. And I began to have this series of pop-up fears of aging. Because I had been through a lot of situations with people in our church over the years. A lot of years we were there. And people coming up to... Uh, old age and frailty and then going to be with the Lord. And I had observed all this up close and personal. And I began to think, whoa, boy, uh, this fear of aging, uh, I'm not so sure I want to go there. But given the options, uh, I decided I would stick with getting older. What's the problem, the fear of aging? Well, it's all the necessary losses that we have to endure. You just can't avoid them, okay? If you want to go on living, you're going to get older. So deal with it, as my wife would say. Get a grip, okay? Well, we begin to lose our strength. We lose our agility. We lose our eyesight. We lose our hearing. That's why I say, excuse me, I didn't hear that quite a lot. Uh, It's harder for us to learn new things. We have trouble sleeping, Our memory begins to get fuzzy and sometimes it just uh, deserts us altogether. Our ability to care for ourselves, our inability to make a difference in the lives of anybody else. And I I think just the worst of all is you become useless. Who wants to go there? Uh, We lose our independence. And in our culture, that's a fearful thing. Lose your independence. I remember after walking a family through a a lengthy time with their their aging mother and she had gone to be with the Lord and all the decisions the family had to make uh, with her and for her and so forth. Um, 
I had a straight talk with my oldest son. He lives in Beaverton. I said, now, Matt, I want to make a deal with you. When I get old and I need to give up my keys, it's time for me to quit driving. You just tell me, give me your keys, and I promise I won't fight you on it. Promise I'll do it. He said, okay, you're sure? And I said, I promise. And it couple minutes, he said, hey, Dad, give me your keys. And I said, no, I didn't mean now. And he said, see, you didn't really mean it. You know, we have a trouble with that. That's part of the problem, our fear of aging. Listen to what God says. I love this section in Isaiah. Listen to me, O house of Jacob. All the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born or carried by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, I will carry and will save. I like that. Every geezer ought to carry that in their pocket because, at least for this geezer, that's good news. God wants to deal with our fears. Here's another one in the Psalms that I love. My wife reminded me of this uh, when I was contemplating coming over here to work with you all as an interim pastor. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap, amen, and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. This is the God that we serve. This is the God who says to us, fear not, Jesus, mighty God. Now, before we get into this next fear, I want to remind you that this is the worst one, I think, in our culture. This is one that drives people to do bizarre things. Because of this fear, people will spend money they don't have. They'll go way deep in debt. Uh, They'll endure physical abuse. Uh, They'll break their own moral code. They'll risk their health. They'll risk life itself. By the way, this is the fear that drives the fashion industry. This is the fear that motivates people to buy things that they probably really don't need, but they don't want to be out of style. And the fashion industry knows this. And so, what is it? Well, every year, the The fashions change, the styles change because of this consumer culture. The fantasy that if I just get a certain thing, then I'll be okay. But that's not the case. This is the fear that gives the power to peer pressure. I always, uh, my heart goes out to young people who are uh, trying to learn how to deal with peer pressure because it's vicious. It's vicious. The fear of rejection. Every one of us uh, need human relationship. We need to know that we are accepted for who we are, 
We need to know that we belong. We, know that we, we need to know that we're not alone in this world. We need to know that we are really, really loved. C.S. Lewis has an interesting little vignette in his Chronicles of Narnia in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You may remember the children go through the wardrobe and they're in this magical land, Narnia. And uh, Mr. Beaver is taking the children to meet Aslan, the lion. And as they're on their way, they begin to get a little nervous and the kids are having this conversation. I'm not too sure I want to go visit a lion. And uh, Susan says, I shall feel rather nervous meeting a lion. Is he safe? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. You see this God that we are called to fear with a godly fear is not safe, but he's good. He's always purposing to do good to those who trust in him. That's really the uh, powerful definition of love. It's the will to good for the other person. Now keep that little vignette in mind as we look at what Jesus said. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. I tell you, fear him. See, he's saying, God is not safe, but he's good. And that's the good news. Jesus also said to his disciples, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. Isn't that good news? God takes care of us. God cares for us. We need to learn to have the kind of reverential fear that will draw us to him and know that he will never reject us. He will never turn us away. He will never say, well, no, you don't qualify. Go get your act together and then come back. No, it's really about just coming to him just as we are. That's how he wants us. One of my younger sisters who was uh, killed in a car accident a number of years ago told me about when she finally gave up and gave her heart to to the Lord God. She was uh, pretty grown up, had a daughter that was uh, in junior high school. And Jan said she she just woke up one night and she had this terror had overcome her. And she knew that she was uh, living a sinful life. Uh, she, she knew that she was contrary to God. And she began to have this great fear. So she said, lying in bed there, she just cried out to God, Oh God, I need you to rescue me. I know that you're the only one that can do it, but I can't get my act together. You're going to have to just come get me just like I am. <laughs> so he did. Set her free. And that's a, 
that's how God always wants to deal with us. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe me. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Now to me, that's good news. That's Jesus, mighty God, saying, he's not safe, but he's good. And so trust him. What do you fear? Well, God has dealt with me and continues to deal with me about fears. I don't know what your fear is. But Jesus, mighty God, is the one and the only one that can adequately remove those fears, set us free from whatever has got us bound up, and let us enjoy this good, abundant life that he grants us when we just turn our life over to him. I want to invite you to... uh, One last thing is, uh, if you can find Zephaniah in your Bible... Uh, it's two or three books before the Gospel of Matthew. And this little prophecy, little short prophecy about, written about a hundred years after Isaiah, Zephaniah uh, gives people this encouraging word. He says, For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty warrior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Zephaniah 3.17. What a wonderful, comforting picture. God himself, the mighty conqueror. He's conquered death. He's conquered sin. He conquers all opposition. And here is a picture of a mighty warrior returning from battle, victorious. And it's as if he comes to his home and here's his wife and she brings out the little baby that was born while he was away. And he's just so delighted he can't stand it. The victory that has been won where he risked his life for this little one. It's been worth it. And what does he do? He sings over this little baby. A mighty warrior sings in joy. And that's how God pictures us when we put our trust in him. Pray with me. Jesus, mighty God, we bless you for your power that you pour forth on our behalf. We bless you for your compassion and your mercy that moved you to take upon yourself the same kind of body that we live in, just so that you could bear a physical human death and destroy the fear of death by destroying the power of the devil. We thank you and we bless you for being our great sin bearer, that you carry all of our sins away, that you set us free, and that you say to us again and again by your gentle, sweet spirit, 
Fear not. Fear not. For I am with you. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Thank you, Lord Jesus, mighty God. If you're here today and you've uh, heard the Lord address, maybe put his finger on a fear you have. Why don't you just admit it to him and uh, give it over to him. He can handle it. Uh, Maybe you need to ask this mighty God to take over your life because uh, you're not doing too well running it. Well, he's good to handle it. If you have a a guilt because of sin, you know, he loves to get rid of sin. Now, that's easy for him to do, and he loves to do it. And I want to pray that this mighty God, Jesus' mighty God, would assure you of his acceptance and of his unfailing commitment. You know, Jesus would rather die than live without you. So why not just give yourself to him? Thank you, Lord God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, for all your grace to us through Christ, mighty God. Amen.